Welcome to Veteran Voices, a podcast dedicated to giving a voice to those that have served in our country's armed forces. On this series, which is part of the Supply Chain Now family of programming, we sit down with a wide variety of veterans and veteran advocates to gain their insights, perspective, and experiences. We'll talk with many individuals about their challenging transition from active duty to the private sector and we'll discuss some of the most vital issues facing veterans today. Join us for this episode of Veteran Voices. Hey, good afternoon, Scott Luton with Veteran Voices. Welcome to today's show. Hey, really excited about this show here because not only do we bring on a fellow veteran, but a dear friend I've known for a long time, so I know our audience is certainly in for a treat, and he's been he's a repeat guest. We interviewed him really from a supply chain angle a few months back. So great to have Keith Singleton in here with us today. But, hey, quick programming note before we get started. So this program is part of Supply Chain Now Programming. You can find Veteran Voices and subscribe wherever you get your podcast from. And you want to subscribe so you don't miss conversations like this here today. All right, so with no further ado, let's say hello to our featured guest here today, Keith Singleton. Keith, how you doing? I'm outstanding. How you doing, Scott? I am really doing well. Things are going well, but this has been a really rewarding series and been real selfish about it because I've really thoroughly enjoyed it. And really, it revolves around sitting down with fellow veterans or veteran advocates and hearing their point of view and their experiences and and getting them to kind of help other veterans that may be transitioning or maybe maybe they hadn't gotten out yet and they're putting their plan together or maybe they're already out and they're trying to figure out how to work their way up the up the a professional career ladder. Sure, sure. But before we get all there, before we get the transition, you know, I know a lot about you, and but I want, <laughs> I want you to share, uh, so our audience can say the same thing. So for starters, Keith, let's talk about, let's get to know you a little better. Okay. So where are you from? And you got to give us an anecdote or two about your upbringing. Okay, I grew up in Oklahoma City, family, military family, partially raised by my grandparents. And uh, I also spent some formative years in Anchorage, Alaska. In fact, that's where I graduated from high school from, in Anchorage, Alaska, East High. I went back to Oklahoma to go and finish my undergraduate degree at the University of Central Oklahoma. That's where I'm from. Do you still have a bunch of family in Anchorage or a bunch of family in Oklahoma or both? I have, I have family in both places. I do. I was, uh, the last time I was in Anchorage was in 2018. I went to the state track meet and hung out with family, my, my little brother for the weekend, and I took my youngest son with me. For probably an overwhelming majority of our listeners have never been to Alaska, what was it like living in Anchorage? What, what, I mean, beyond probably the weather, what else really stands out that's unique about Anchorage? Anchorage is just beautiful. No joke. Anchorage is uh, scenically an iconic city uh, similar to some of the cities we're probably familiar with on TV, Sydney. London, places like that. Anchorage is beautiful. It is Alaska, so it does get cold. <laughs> you still get snow there. As a matter of fact, when we were there in 2018 in May, it started raining where we were at. We were in Wasilla, which is where Sarah Palin is from. Mm-hmm. Uh, I actually know Sarah's dad very, very well. He was track coach, and uh, I am familiar with Sarah and Todd. I don't, you know, I wasn't huh. friends with them personally, but I, I played against Todd, and uh, I've seen Sarah before. She was a basketball player. Uh, small town, huh? Small town. All right. So let's. You, you talked about. I think you, you said you graduated from Central Oklahoma University. Is that right? Yes. 
and and then before we 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 dive into your military, what else? What did you major in in college? Uh, history major. History really? major. Uh, yes, I I am a history major. I am a huge history person. Uh, I had a professor that gave some advice that said, "Hey, you should probably look into getting a liberal arts degree at our age group, which was 18, 20 year olds at the time." It's probably the best advice he ever gave because I have a real passion for history. And by the time you do that, then you'll kind of figure out what you want to do and you'll learn how to write and learn how to critically think. And he he was exactly right. So that's what that's what I did undergraduate wise. Now I got my graduate degree in business, of course, and and then I can tell you about my professional development, which started in the Marine Corps. Yeah. So one more question, because uh, this history wrinkle is a new one. I've learned something new about you already. How, so how do you how do you serve that passion now? How do you get your history fix these days? Oh, I you know I'm a I'm an avid reader. I am a real reader. And the other thing that I do is that I, I do volunteer for the local uh, my local schools around here. So I'm I'm always in the schools. Not only as a uh, you know I, I do coaching, but I'm a guest speaker, things of that nature. And if it's a subject, because I actually I got a certification in teaching too while I was here in Georgia. So if it's something that a, a professor wants to bring home or a teacher wants to bring home to a class and just get a special guest in, that's what I do. I, I'll, from the studies, I, I, I try to apply that. All right. I, I, so I'm fast. I, I got to give you one more question about this history angle. Okay. Uh, and I'm going to put you on the spot a bit. But, you know, right. there's, there's that saying, if we don't learn from history, It'll repeat itself. Yes. Right. So what what is one thing maybe, because I kind of catch you with a with a curveball here, but what's one thing, maybe a lesson that we haven't learned well enough that will certainly repeat itself? Anything come to mind? I have a few things that come to mind. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, financially, um, what I have learned in history is this, is that if you just push financial problems off, all you do is force the, the next generation to just have to solve it. Yeah. And what happens is, is that once they solve it, they find out that it wasn't that hard anyway, that people rally and they get by it. And then we move on with life. Uh, I'll give you one historical anecdote that will blow you away. When the country formed and the constitution was approved, mm. the debt was the equivalent to what our debt is right now, even with the pandemic going on. Hmm. And so one of the first things that President Washington did was, hey, we're going to get our house in order and we're going to solve the debt to all our people that we owe money to. And that even, that even included the civilians that lent the military money. Mm. And they did. They paid the debt within a year and a half, and the country prospered. And it's happened twice in our, in, in our, in our history mm. where people have just made the, we're going to pay the debt off and move on. It's not as painful as people think it is. And it does repeat itself mm. if you don't talk about it. And that's the issue. Nobody will talk about what they had to do. They mm. won't talk about each of, each of broccoli, each of beets. They don't never talk about it. That's not exciting. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. All right, there's so much more there. We'll have to, we'll have to bring you back for a history-focused episode here. Sure, um, sure. All right, so let's talk about what was your why for joining the military? I joined the military because it's a family tradition with us in – uh, my family, uh, my dad was in the Air Force, similar to Scott. That's Scott and I really got uh, talking when we first met. And then but my, my grandparents were on both sides were, were in the Army. So I wanted to be different, and I had a cousin that was a Marine. So I decided, you know, I had to do one up him. If he was going to be a Marine, then I had to be a Marine officer. So that's what I did. <laughs> I, I joined. That's why I joined. Awesome. All right, so talk about that. You said a minute ago kind of how – 
your professional development started uh, when you joined the military and started there. Talk about those early days, your early days of being a Marine. I tell you, I mean, the Marine Corps officer path is a little different. You, uh, you have to go to officer candidate school, but it is more of a qualification process than it is, you know, just a, a, a broken out pathway where you're in service. So you pass OCS, and then uh, if you're in a PLC program, like a platoon leaders class program like I, I was in, you go back to school, you graduate, and then you get on active duty. So then officers in the Marine Corps go through a process where they have to physically do our formal training, which is not boot camp for 10 weeks. It's six months for us in the Corps. So we do officers training at, at the basic school, which is the basic school for officer training. And then you get assigned, uh, you pick your MOS there. So um, I got my MOS by default. I first started out as, a, as an air officer and, and, and realized, hey, this probably is not the right thing for me. And so I went to ground supply school, which is what we call supply chain logistics. Mm-hmm. And it was probably the best thing that I ever did because it turns out my dad was a load master in the Air Force. Okay. Uh, never really knew that because I never asked him those questions. And, but a lot of the things that he taught me in terms of the business world and it, it was applicable to what I was doing. So I was, I was immediately comfortable in that MOS because I knew it. So we have the Marines to thank. Yes. For all of your success in supply chain sense. Is that when you uncovered basically what supply chain management profession was, huh? Yes, that's, I mean, that's exactly, uh, that's exactly where I uncovered it because my MOS is, 30, is, is 3002 uh, for Marine Office Ground Supply. But you get, uh, you get, of course, you get a dose in how to warehouse, but you also get a dose to the, the administrative side too, inventory management. I was in force recon, so we did a lot of contracting. So I was, I was, I was in align with procurement. And then again, being a small independent unit, I had financial manage. I had the financial management piece too, or accounting, uh, account management. So I did that as well. So I was pretty well grounded once I left my first unit, and once I left uh, my secondary unit. Or so. Mm. so it was. I knew logistics pretty pretty well. Yeah, we had a, a couple of our earlier guests were talking about uh, deployment and how that's it's really a study. Right. And, and logistics and overall supply chain. I imagine that was your experience as well. It was. I mean, because I had the, I had the dubious honor of getting, rid, uh, getting, getting prepared for the Gulf War. I did serve in the first Gulf War. Uh, so we had to figure out how to pack all our equipment that we needed. Marines take everything with them. So we had to figure that out. And we got everything deployed and embarked and disembarked successfully in Saudi Arabia. And then I had to figure out how do I set up chains of supply for some of the unique uh, pieces of equipment that we have that make us successful. So that, that the contracting part came in where I had to go out and, 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 and visit with the Saudi nationals. I went and made relationships in Bahrain, places like that, so that I could get supply parts, repair parts for our equipment. So I got that experience of doing that as well. It was a lot of fun, a lot of fun. We were talking the other day, and I can't, I can't remember if it was a, a live stream or one of our shows, but we were talking about how global supply chain cuts through all the differences in, yes, in, in people and countries and traditions and cultures. Yes. And it just it, it's like a, um, folks just come together to make it happen. They do. And, and how much there's so much that the rest of the world and other professions could learn from yes. what is global supply chain manager, right? It is, it is a whole bunch too, and uh, let me. But let it, we had this one experience 
where I, you know, I did establish a great relationship with this vendor in Bahrain. And before we even talked business, we had to sit down on his mats and drink tea. So while I'm walking to the mat, my, my, my supply chief is grabbing me in the back saying, sir, you can't flinch if they give you a dirty glass. You got to drink out that glass. So <laughs> I'm like, okay, right. And uh, they're more aware of your traditions and your culture. They give, you know, they, they give you more credit than what you think. So, yeah. uh, so but, but it's just the nuances too, you know. Uh, you don't want to offend people that are there to help you. And if you establish the right relationships, they work with you. So the guy extended me credit and that we didn't even sign a contract. Hmm. Wow. And, he supported my unit all in February and March of that uh, of the war when it transitioned from uh, shield to storm. Mm. If you if you guys recall mm. that, that's been some years for some people. Mm. Yes, and, it has. And so once we got ready to leave country, I had to meet with our contracting office and get a, a contracting official to go to Bahrain with me and pay this guy. Now the, uh, I explained to him that hey, he's only going to take cash. Mm. It is, <laughs> it is none of the other stuff. And, and it was no problem. We, uh, we paid him in American cash. Uh, we, he signed all the necessary paperwork while we were standing there with him because he needed his audit trails too. Uh, and that's what we found out. People do business relatively the same way. And they have no problems when you have special needs and requirements on your end. All you got to do is ask. You just got to know what you ask him for. There's a lot more commonality than we all right. think, uh, right. which is a, a right. great thing. Before we move on to some of the folks you worked with that you that you really enjoyed, so over there during that time during Desert Shield and, and then Desert Storm, what else is is one memory of that time there in country that you know you, you bring with you till this day? We've had several experiences, but I, I, I like to keep it positive. Uh, one of the best guys that I've ever worked with was this guy uh, was was my first commanding officer. He is still the ideal role model leader. Who I patterned myself after. His name is Richard Berry, uh, just a tremendous person. I, I, I tell you, I mean, he's a man's man. And, and, and let me tell you this, uh, you can't judge a book by its cover. That's what I learned from Colonel Berry. Colonel Berry is one of the smartest people I've ever met in my life. And I learned the chain of command there too. The chain of command is there to protect you and the people that you work for. Uh, the people in between, just make sure everything's staffed. you got all your T's uh, crossed and all your I's dotted. And you learn to appreciate that in the Marine Corps. So one time my XO was gone and I did report, report, report directly to the colonel, but I was a 23 year old second lieutenant. So, you know, <laughs> I didn't know as much as I thought. So I, I wrote an article, I wrote, uh, I wrote a request that had to go up to the general and, uh, and I had to get his signature. Well, typically, you know, my XO would review it, you know, the drill. So I gave this request to Colonel Barry, and I purposely misspelled one word. I was going to go back and change it. It was on the second page. So Colonel Barry, him and I would always get in there, and we'd talk, 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 talk. And I had a bet with my sergeant he wasn't going to read the whole thing. He was going to sign off on it. And, of course, that's what he did. He signed off on it. But then he said, Keith, you, know, you need to return that first page. And I said, what do you mean? Because we talked the whole time. I didn't see the guy doing this reading. He said, oh, yeah, you got that misspell in that second paragraph there, and I just want to let you know. Can't get by on the old man. Well, what I found out is Colonel Berry was an English major, and he read at 2,000 words a minute. Wow. And he had read and, compre and comprehended the entire, my entire submission. And so when the XO came, he, he wasn't mad at me. He said, oh, you tried to test the colonel, huh? And I said, yeah. He said, you know, the colonel read 2,000 words a minute. That's what I found out. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, 
but I mean, he was a, he's a tremendous leader. I, I tell you what, man, I mean, uh, the one adage that I take from him is this, is that you got to always lead from the front. And what that means, by, what that means is this. I, I never ask somebody to do something I'm not willing to do. Yeah, I love that. The words live by for sure, right? right. And that was Colonel Richard Berry. Is that right? Right. So that's a great segue because for, I don't know about you, but for me, the people I met and served beside or worked for right. um, in the military, I mean, you know, it, it was a family. I mean, and, and I mean that, I don't mean that cliche. I mean, there was, as you know, right. folks look out for you. And it, it was something that, frankly, I was telling someone about this other day, similar element in the manufacturing community right. and some of the manufacturing roles and, and how there's a, there's a sense to the, you know, production or a noble mission and right. you get in there and you work together and, and there's all kind of problems you got to solve and serve the customer, all that stuff. But man, the folks we worked with. So who, who sticks out in your journey? As Marine, Keith, folks either, either you worked for or folks that you worked beside or, or maybe folks that worked for you. Who, what are some of the characters? Well, I tell you what, I mean, the one guy that, I, that really sticks out the most for me that uh, and he was he was my commanding general when I was at OCS and at TBS. We did his retirement ceremony. But there's a personal thing that uh, I won't go, go into great detail with. But this man uh, is the reason why I was a, I was a Marine officer. And this is a true story. And Frank Peterson uh, is one of the first earliest uh, black aviators in the Marine Corps. Uh, he ended up being a general. He ended up being a commanding general uh, of Masidic Marine Corps Training Command Center. That guy is the reason why I graduated from TV, uh, OCS. And he doesn't know that he's, he's passed since, but, you know, I never got a chance to tell the story of how he, how he was inter- instrumental in me graduating. And then another guy... Uh, who I just, uh, I tell you what, he was, he's an amazing fellow, is General Stanley. He, uh, he had a chance, I, I thought General Stanley really had a chance of being a commandant of the Marine Corps. But uh, again, what I, what the thing I take away from both him and General Peterson is always being connected, always being willing to help anybody that you see in need of help, always being, having a foresight to be able to pick talent out and to develop that talent. And the three gentlemen that I've mentioned to you, they all had a, a talent, they all had a, a passion of doing that with young officers in the Marine Corps. But I, I, I tell you, those, 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 are, those are the three people that I try most to pattern myself after. In my time, I was enlisted. I know a lot of times they would put young officers and they'd have like guidance from, from like a senior enlisted advisor as well sure, are sure, any sure. any of those folks stick out that really helped help you uh, you know navigate through those early years well, absolutely my my first supply chief raymond farmer is tremendous i mean uh you know uh, it's those ncos that really train young officers how to be good officers i've got plenty of uh enlisted guys and plus all my my family are, are all enlisted in uh in staff ncos and ncos my first very first uh, first sergeant that I worked with was a guy named First Sergeant Eschbach. I mean, just a tremendous fellow, just a tremendous fellow. Uh, he's the one that, that, that made me aware of how important it is not only for troops to be polished when it came to drill and popping circumstances, but the officers had to be as well. And that we, we had to take the time to understand why we were going through these processes and why it was important to be able to, to not only know the part, but to look the part in front of your young Marines. Always have a, you know, you always, you always run across great people like that. And then just, uh, you know, I, I had a young uh, private that came in Force Recon with me that ended up being 
uh, a senior staff in CEO, Daniel Montano, he, uh, he was just a tremendous uh, uh, young Marine. Uh, watching and watching him grow and develop. I kept up with his career even after I got out. Just watching him develop to become a great senior staff NCO and retiring successfully. I tell you what, I mean, guys that work for you hard like that, you cannot let down. Mm. You can't let them down. Well put. Uh, such a such a sense of responsibility and accountability as right. as their their leaders. Right. That you don't not only can't you do it, but you don't want to do it. You know, it, it, it can light a fire under you sometimes, it right? It, oh, it can. I mean, my uh, my first uh, platoon sergeant was a guy named Blocker. Got <laughs> sorry. He ended up being a sergeant major, but uh, man, let me tell you, man, he 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 was a he was a definition of being tough. <laughs> <laughs> but the real deal of it is, is that hey, you know, sometimes you can't mince words with people. Sometimes. You have to let people know up front what the expectations are and that, hey, it's not only you that's dependent upon you being successful, but those young men that are following you. One of the things that, are, that brings to, to my mind is why you always want to pick and choose your battles, right, in business and, and in life. Mm -hmm. You can't shy away from the tough conversations sometimes, no. right? You owe it to yourself no. as much as you owe it to other, other people, right? I mean, that's a good trans, that's a good segue because that is the truth. I mean, sometimes you have to have the tough conversations and sometimes you have to learn the, you have to learn how to do the toughness, the tough conversations in a nuanced fashion that you don't alienate your audience. Yeah. A lot of times we get, we get good at talking, managing up to people and, and, and struggling and learning how to say the right things. But you know what? Those very people that serve with you as peers or juniors, they deserve to be treated with the same dignity and respect that you give seniors. Yeah. And that's the key to being a successful officer in the Marine Corps is that we not only respect people that are senior, but we respect juniors as well. And the, and, and the Marines know and, and demand that type of respect. Mm. And that's mm. what I like most about the Marine Corps. We really truly are a band of brothers. I mean, you, you, you're not going to walk past a Marine and he pop up a salute and you're not going to return it. Because it's just common courtesy to greet each other in, in a brotherly fashion, saying, hey, how are you doing? And I'm acknowledging that's all a salute is. That's all it is. Before we uh, move over and talking about transition and picking your sure. brain and offering some advice to our listeners there, when you look back at your time at active duty as Marine, what's one accomplishment that, that you're most proud of? We introduced the light strike vehicle into the uh, – into the Marine Corps weapon foray, and I, I'm really proud of that. It was something that started out just as a drawing on the wall as we were getting ready to go overseas to start, uh, for the war. Somebody saw it on TV and just started drawing it out, and we were in we were in boardroom talking, and then I got with the contracting people. We went out and sourced some SMEs on it, and I think the Army had something that was kind of similar, but it wasn't exactly what we were looking for, and we ended up having it built. And we tested it while we were in Jabal, Saudi Arabia, and we deployed it in, in the war once it started. Hmm. It basically looks like a doom buggy, but at the bottom, it you know, we just had, you had a smaller uh, gun, and on top you had a, a 60 on top. And it's basically that would allow Marines to go in, be on a reconnaissance mission. If they ran into any issues, they could defend themselves. If they ran into something heavy, if you had something heavy enough to make them button up and you could, and it was fast enough to get out of there. 
that was that's that was one of the most memorable experiences that I that I had. You know, just something new introducing to the core. Yeah, it was an awesome experience doing that. Wartime innovation, basically. Right. 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 Let's transition now over to transition. Right. A, a big focus of these conversations we have is around transitioning. There's so much. You know, uh, I exited in '02. We we you and I have chatted numerous times, especially when we we saw each other regularly about transition best practices. And I can't tell you, Keith, you probably have had them too, how many conversations from from folks that continue to struggle with transition, whether they just didn't know how to do it or whether maybe some of their commanders I've heard didn't give them any leeway until the day that they separated to really invest in, in their transition or all kinds of things, right? There's all kinds of reasons. So let's talk about your transition. How, how did that work? I'll be honest, like most uh, service members, I can tell you it's stressful. It is really, really stressful uh, because, you you know, first of all, you, you're in a family and, you know, you have virtually all of your needs being met and you have a support system there that you come acquainted with and you're accustomed to and the culture. The second thing, though, is that you don't know, you don't know what to expect. You don't know the unknown. You don't know how people are going to receive you. You hear, you read all the platitudes and, of course, you're running people into the civilian world saying, hey, thank you for your service, but you don't know if they're being sincere or not. And then the first couple of resumes that you put out, the first couple of times you go on interviews, you know, you realize that, hey, I might be a bit out of step. So I think that some of the, 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 the programs they've set up now are really spot on. Like uh, one, one piece of advice that I'd give anybody is that, man, please listen to your wife on how to dress. <laughs> um, you know, now it's invaluable because your, your your wife is your wife is probably more in tune to what is expected for civilians on the outside and how to carry themselves, and probably have watched the programs and done some of the interactions mm-hmm. with people that can you know they they it kind of can point you in the right direction. So appearance is uh, appearance is 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 minimum, but at the same time. It kind of it, it kind of segues like we just do in conversations and allowing people to say, okay, yeah, this guy, he looks like he's ready to go. He looks like he's ready to be a part of our team, and we're ready to accept him in that too. You know, there are a lot of misconceptions about people from the service that we're rigid, that we're inflexible, et cetera, and so forth. And that's the farthest thing from the truth. Right. Uh, there are some well, you know, there are some well-struck uh, companies out there that are pretty buttoned up and have their own, you know, cultures. Uh, G was one company that had a, a reputation about having a really, really buttoned up, you know, uh, white-collar workforce. But it is no different than any large organization. Once you find a certain cadence of how to be successful, then everybody falls in line with that. And the military is much of the same way. So, yep. well, so when you transitioned. Out of active duty, what was your first role? Uh, I got into the banking world. I, I did. I, I, I joined Household International, uh, and it was by default. A friend of mine had interviewed with them, and I had I boy, I had looked around for quite a few jobs. It was it was it was a tight job market. It's hard to say, but similar to right now, real high unemployment rate, that kind of thing. Mm. And so I, I I took the initiative. I I wrote the guy's name down who Ernie said he spoke to. And uh, and then I I, I kind of sideways got the, the address from the uh, from Ernie and then I just sent it to him, and he responded back. At the time, 
you could go into the, the you could go to the gates of airports and he flew in from Chicago and we met at what's now Reagan International, it's called National uh, Airport. We met right there at his gate and we talked for 45 minutes. He screened me and then he gave me the thumbs up and then he uh, gave me the one his clients, which was household. Mm. It was a great, great program. I love that program. Those were good days when we didn't have to go through all the security. I remember I uh, was part of a consulting organization way back when, before kids, and we had a big deal. We were working, and we flew into, I think, St. Louis to meet one of the decision makers who happened to be having stopping at the airport in St. Louis. We had a couple hours, and I remember walking all the way to his gate, you know, still walking and learning and selling. They don't go, you can't do that anymore. You can't do that anymore. I mean, you can't do that anymore. Sit in restaurants and talk and, and that kind of thing. And, and, and that's the other thing, too. That the advice I'd give to any young uh, Army person, sailor, airman, or Marine is that you are being evaluated by those guys the entire time. They are looking at you. They're looking at your mannerisms. They're looking at how you handle stressful situations. They're looking at how you respond to tough questions how you even respond to when, you know, there's pregnant silence out there. So uh, it's, it, it's not to add stress to you, but they, they don't really know. They don't have a real appreciation of the, the kind of world you're coming from. They really, a lot of times, just know stereotypes uh, or what somebody else has told them. As we, as we kind of wrap up the transition segment of this interview, I'd love for you, you've already offered some pieces of advice for both parties, the, uh, the veteran that's working through transition and also the hiring managers that, that don't have military experience. So let's, let's keep going down that route. What other advice would you offer veterans that uh, either they're in transition or maybe they found a job and they're trying to figure out how to work their way up the ladder? Well, let's start with if you're in transition, sometimes you get used to using acronyms. If you find yourself in the middle of an interview and an acronym slips out, don't panic. Just explain what the acronym is. Mm. And you'll be surprised. They'll say, oh, that's what it means? As simple as that. And say, I apologize, sir. I catch myself. Everybody wants to, everybody wants to help you be successful. Mm. The second thing is, is that you want to move up the ladder, but the key in corporate America, and, I, and it's something that took me a long time to learn, it's not, it's not vertical like it is in, in, in the military. You don't, I mean, you have a set career pathway. Uh, you, you start out as a platoon commander, you know you got to be a company commander, you know you got to serve successfully as a staff member, and you know what schools you got to go to, then you know you have to be a battalion commander, so forth, so on. Getting to be the CEO of a company might go sideways. You might, it, you might be the AVP for a great department director, and you get noticed by somebody in the staff in, in, in the C-suites, and then you get, a, you get a special project, and boy, at least to another special project. And before you know it, you might be the vice president of a division right. based off of that. So it's, you, it's not an apples to oranges comparison. And then the third thing is, is that you have to embrace people. You know, I'm going to give you, I'm going to give you this advice. I know I'm partial to the Marine Corps. Army's just as professional. So is the Air Force. Air Force is a great organization. The Navy is just amazing. But what I'm going to tell you is that those are some of the best professionals you are ever going to come up. They're the best of the best. You tell a Lance Corporal, hey, I need this. You don't have to go back and tell him anymore. It's done. And after they've worked with you for a couple of years, they can finish your sentences. It's, it's not going to be that way in the civilian world. You're not going to have people that you can hand a piece of paper to and walk away. 
in many cases, you're not going to have somebody that, that's going to type up your Excel spreadsheet. You're going to have to get in and do that yourself. <laughs> so my thing is, is that, but that doesn't make the people working for you any less professional. And that doesn't make them any, more, uh, any less dedicated to seeing for your success and their success too. It just translates a little differently, but people are just people. Yep. If you invest in them, they'll invest in you. Love that. Okay. So same question. What advice for a different part of the, the hiring managers that are out there that are trying to figure out who to interview and, and then the folks they interview, how to engage them, how to evaluate them. Oftentimes as humans, if we don't understand things, we shy, we shy away. And, and as we both know, that hurts veterans' opportunities to land these jobs, right, if, if there's, a, if there's that, that gap there. So what, what advice would you offer hiring managers that really want to get better at engaging and communicating and, and building relationships, you know, ha having that professional relationship with veterans? I would say to a hiring manager out there, don't be afraid to partner with a veteran that's in your organization. And there's, there are veterans in uh, throughout corporate America. And so when you're, uh, before interviewing a veteran, you know, get with somebody within your organization and just ask some general questions. Uh, a lot of times as a hiring manager, we fall back on the written qualifications that this person must have as minimums before we, 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 uh, we hire them. And the first thing we might say, well, this guy doesn't have any experience as a supervisor and I might have to start him this way. Mm. That's not necessarily the case. I mean, he's got plenty of experience as a supervisor. As a matter of fact, his chain of command doesn't translate the same way as your chain of command. What you might call a supervisor, well, to us, that's nothing more than a squad leader. Mm. I'm just being straight with you. And so a squad leader has just as many responsibilities as a supervisor. And then a team leader is a lead, mm -hmm. you know, that you have in your organization. So sometimes it's not an apples to apples comparison, apples and oranges. And the third thing of it is, is that, you know, don't be afraid if you find yourself in the interview of asking that person to give you experiences just in layman's terms of what did you do when you failed? How did you overcome the failure? What did you do to be successful? Can you outline to me what steps you took to be successful? And what, you, what you'll discover is you'll open that person's mind up to start telling you how he operates, how he works, how he interfaces with people, how he gets the most out of people, how he gets buy-in, how he gets the people around him to aspire to grab onto a, a goal that you got to get every day, and how he inspires that young guy that's having a tough time out there, how to pick himself up and get it done like coming back from break on time and saying, hey, I know I failed yesterday, but I'm going to make it today. Aspiration and inspiration, two different things. But military professionals that are leaders do it every day. You know, that's the only way a Marine can get a guy in a foxhole to charge a machine gun nest, and he knows he's going to lose three out of his four buddies. They got to learn. They got to embrace and believe in what we're doing. The same thing translates to when you have goals that you're trying to meet to be successful a quarter. Your people don't aspire and understand what you're trying to do. They're never going to aspire to get it, and they're not going to embrace the goal. It's just your goal. And they translate it as, well, you just want to do that at our expense. No organization can be successful doing that. Well put, as always, Keith. So really appreciate you sharing that. I think that's some really practical advice and I'm hoping, I'm sure our listeners will appreciate that. Let's talk about what you do now. Tell us about your role and, and, and what the organization does. 
Well, I mean, Gates is a power company. Uh, I'm in the auto replacement division, and right now I'm the acting plant manager of, of my site. So uh, I have just under 100 people that report to me in a 242,000 square foot uh, warehouse. Uh, and I'm, so I'm responsible from everything from receiving inbound freight in to storing it properly, kitting, and some organizations, I mean, that means taking uh, materials and some other in-item in products and making it into something else and then shipping it out. Our primary customer is Napa. So whenever a Napa store is open and it needs something, we're responsible here in Lithonia to getting that part to them. So it's been interesting times, you know, since the virus and everything like that. So we've been getting lots of volume, but that's always a good problem to have. Business is always a good problem to solve. Yeah. Absolutely. And I bet yeah, staying busy is a good problem to have, right? Good, well, hey, good problem to have. one last question. I know you're passionate about this in terms of ongoing education and sure. professional development. Yeah, you and I met volunteering for Supply Chain uh, Industry Association. Any advice? So, so when you think of veterans that may be trying to break into supply chain, any advice around that ongoing education angle? Sure. You know, I, I'm going to tell them this is that uh, I think uh, I think getting a Six Sigma certification is like one of the one of the ground tenets that you can do to help you get acclimated and to help you get oriented in a new organization. Mm. And what I mean by that is we're always looking in the military how you can improve things. Uh, Six Sigma is a is a discipline and a tenet that's. Uh, it's pretty methodical. You can start out with the gold, green, uh, and then elevate to a black belt. But it, it doesn't require a whole lot of you, uh, of your time to do that. You can do it in a, a planned and methodical way. And it gives, you, it gives you the diction and it gives you the cadence to be able to talk to other business people out there uh, in a language that everybody understands. Everybody understands improvement. Mm, everybody right. understands getting rid of waste. And everybody understands trying to increase profits. And that's a, mm. that's a good entryway into uh, opening up a, an interview process and getting the interviewee to start interviewer to start talking about some of the things that you're most familiar about. Mm, love it. Good stuff there. All right. So Keith, for some of the folks that may want to reach out and connect with you, what would your advice be there? I'm on LinkedIn. So you can type in my name and you can find me on LinkedIn. And, uh, but the other thing is I'll give you my email address uh, and you can always email me. My personal address is KDSing, S-I-N-G-1 at gmail.com. And my, uh, my business address is keith.singleton at gates.com. Perfect. Uh, you can just email me at any one of those addresses and I'll respond to you. Perfect. It's just that simple. Keith, a pleasure. You know, this could, I had to hold back because this could have been a three hour episode and I'm, oh, I'm sure cool. you've got folks waiting on you uh, in your role, but this is always a pleasure to reconnect with you. I really appreciate your, your point of view and, and insight. And I learned some things I didn't know. Oh, wow. um, that's interesting. Yeah, the, the whole history angle, we'll have to chat a lot more about that in the uh, months to come. But regardless, big thanks to Keith Singleton Thank for you, joining sir. us here on Veteran Voices. Thanks, Keith. Thank you so much. You bet. All right, to our listeners, hopefully you enjoyed this conversation as much as I had. I told you I was in, you were in for a treat, and Keith delivered as always. So if you enjoyed this, hey, be sure to find us and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts from. Search for Veteran Voices. Of course, we're on Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn, you name it. Hey, if you're a veteran and you've got a story that you really want to share, reach out to us. We'll see if we can't work you into the programming. We'd love to hear from you. Beyond all of that, this is Scott Luton wishing all of you nothing but the best. Do good. Give forward. Be the change that's needed. And on that note, we'll see you next time here on Veteran Voices. Hey, thanks, everybody.